As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You ever think about quitting? It's the combat of life hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off, and to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative insurgency up, in their lives. You fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. I always, always, always get super excited when we're going to bring one of our own on the show, Marcus. And I know you do, too, because it's it's the brotherhood that sure. we're, we're sharing now, right? Oh, and everything's relative with each other. I mean, because of the, the background. And the experiences. And the, and the path he follows. Oh, so, I mean, it's kind man. of one of them deals when he's explaining something. We, you can visualize we can it. Visualize you understand it. it. Yeah, yeah understand absolutely. It. So those make the, the best interviews because you're not guessing at stuff. You, 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 you get what he's saying. And I also think our fans get fired up about it, too, because they love oh, us. yeah, man. They love war stories. Well, they love you know, you always hear people it. all the time. They're like, you know, we don't ever... He never talked about it. He never told us stories. Never got to hear that. And I, when people tell me that, we're like, oh, my granddad, you know, he never told me. He never talked about it. I'm like, yeah, he yeah. did. He just didn't talk about it to you. Right. I talked about it to his boys. Why do you think so, that is? Why do you think that is? I don't know. I always, from what I heard from my dad and everybody, and then from, from I guess, from the buddies, I mean, you could tell, you know, you know, the look in somebody's eye when you're trying to explain something that was. And it's just glazed. Yeah. And it, I guess if it's not as impactful to to uh, them as it is to you when you're telling them that part of the story, I guess gets to, I don't know, it's a good question. Well, when you think about it, right, it's for us, every detail matters of it, right? The nuance yeah. of the friendships, the 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 tragedy of of the loss. Sure, and when you're or, going through a story like that, everything comes into play. The smell, 
Yeah, the ta- what, what kit you yeah, wore? What, what, what pants you had yeah. on? You know? <laughs> and it's the mundane details that suck. So, like my boot, my right boot was wet the entire time. Do you hear what I'm saying yeah. to you? The right and boot was wet. And they're looking at you like this the whole time. I, I don't understand what why that would oh, be. Oh yeah, upsetting. your boot was wet. That's like, no. I got my boot wet in the beginning of the op. It was miserable. The whole I mean, the whole. Yeah. The, the everybody, eight clicks every, yeah. I had to walk. When every the guy has their one deal, right? If it happens, <laughs> you're like, dude, God dang it. Oh, I, I absolutely, bro. <laughs> absolutely. And I think that's what that's what the greatest challenge for people that have never been in combat, that they've never been downrange, they don't they've never been through any significant training. You know, that and I but it's also fascinating to them though. Yeah, when you get to hear from the guys who've taken joining the military, serving your country, and then going deeper into the military, that's possible, right? And we did it. It's those oh, advanced schools, and you, you get out of the military what you put into it, hands down. If you talk to somebody who said they didn't have a good time in the military, well, then they didn't really put as much, put as much in it, or didn't it. create the opportunities for themselves yeah, to go, experience You can go anywhere all. Yeah. in the military. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, it's, it's good hearing from those guys who have gone uh, – deep down the rabbit hole in the military and pull those stories to light. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. So, when you know, we've, we've got one of those guys. We've got a, a guest coming on today, Nicholas Irving, the Reaper. All right. One of the, one of the most prolific snipers out there over the last, the last in the war on terror. I mean, this guy is a, a, is a, is a consummate badass man. And, and his story of uh, what he's sharing today, I, I can't even imagine what it's going to be, bro. No. I mean, he's been there, he's done it. He's seen it all. So he it trucked could, up there in Hellman. That, that's what, uh, that's what no he writes in there, the book yeah. and all that. But I, 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 there's a couple of towns when you, when you drop that name, Fallujah, Ramadi, Hellman, Oh, I, you know, I know. Oh, oh like, day Raul, like, baby. Well, all right, you were there. That's all, I, that's all I needed to know, right? Yeah. You're a dude from, totally. that, from that. You're like, all right, yep, you're solid. Yeah, so I, I, I'm really looking forward to getting him on. But listen, if, if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. We're super fired up to have you. Marcus and I are, you know, this is our passion in life. Our new mission is to help you understand what it takes to live the nev- with the Never Quit Mindset. Uh, we love doing this. We're, we're rapidly becoming, you know, one of the top podcasts out there. We just got nominated to be one of uh, 2000, I, Apple iTunes 2016 top podcasts. And for that, we're super fired up. Oh, thank you all. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so all. much for that. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, man. It is. It is awesome. So. Like, I've been talking about it for a couple of days now. I'm like, man, that was really cool. But half the year and we made it up there, brother. Yeah. So that's big time. So thank all of you. If you want to know more about us and why we're doing it, all the other shows, please visit our website at tnqpodcast.com. Uh, and then check out the Team Never Quit uh, website. You can follow both Marcus and I on all the social media. It's at Marcus Luttrell or at Team Frog Logic. All right. So the, the, what we want to talk about now that I thought would, or Wizard thought would be appropriate for for this particular episode is is our historical story or person I should say. Now, you and I have both been big fans of this guy since, you know, I first heard about him when I first got in, uh started reading about Vietnam and and and, and who the who the pipe hitters were that yeah. time. And so, what what who we want to talk about today is Carlos Whitefeather Hathcock. Oh, Carlos Hathcock, who prior to our good friend Chris, or your good friend Chris, I knew him just a little bit, but prior to uh, Chris was the most prolific sniper in American history. Now, Carlos was uh, from born 1942, lived till uh, 1999, where he died of MS in Little Rock, Arkansas, was a Marine Corps sniper, two two tours of Vietnam, 1966 and 69. 
93 confirmed kills. Uh, personal estimate of three to 400, including unconfirmed. I mean, that's that right me is the real hey, he story. He pinched that whole NVA regiment that time with just capping the guys at the ends. Every time somebody's standing, just at the ends, right? Yeah, yeah. Get them laid down. I mean, or, that's or, remarkable. When you think about down. that, it's insane. All right, uh, the the Viet Cong and the NVA called them the Tukai Long Trang. Is that is that right? Tukai Long Trang, <laughs> which means white feather sniper. Because of the white feather he kept in a band, in the band on his bush hat. His primary rifle was a Winchester Model 70, 30 out six. six yeah. yeah, I mean, now there's a truckload of stuff out there. One of the interesting quotes that I, I, I wanted to talk about is, he says, I didn't really like the killing, he once told a reporter. You'd have to be crazy to enjoy running around the woods and killing people. But if I didn't get the enemy, they were going to kill the kids over there. And saving Americans' lives is what Hathcock truly wanted to do. Now, you know, Chris said the same thing, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What was, uh, what's Hemingway's quote? There is no hunting like the hunting of a man. Those who have hunted armed men long enough and liked it never really find pleasure in hunting something else. Did you just throw Hemingway out there? Yeah, you know. That's epic. That's a that's a that's, that's one of the biggest s- quote ever. Yeah. Right. So uh, the whole time I was reading over this and you were talking about this because I got we got buddies who come down and I take hunting right. Right. And then you, when you watch them hunt, they're actually killing. I, I was a hunter, oh. hunter before, so right. the, the the passion is in the hunt, the stalk. Right. Taking another man's life is you know completely different, different frame uh, of mind. Uh, you know, all, all together. And you can tell, like I said, when I'm out with my buddies, man, when they're, you ask them about like, hey, how was the, the hunt? And they just talk about the end part of it. Well, if you talk to m- most people who uh, deer hunt or something like that, it's all about the prep, getting into the stand, waiting the whole time. Then when the, the animal actually comes, watching it and studying it, that kind of deal. Yeah. That's the passion. And then one shot, one kill, no suffering, put it on the ground and, and harvest it. And, you know, it says a lot about a man who, who, who doesn't like killing other men, but is proficient at it. It says a truckload about him. And, th- and that's what I find so fascinating about this guy. He, you know, I mean, in a very different, difficult environment to do to do that, I mean, this guy became so good that uh, the North Vietnamese actually put a bounty of $30,000 on Hathcock's head, right? I yeah. mean, that's that's hardcore. When, when, when they're putting bounties on your head because you're so good at what oh, you do. Oh, man, look, if you're in a... And I thought about this with Chris, man. When right. You're, when you're in a, in a war... And the entire country has strapped a nickname on you. <laughs> you're, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I know I don't. I've you're, never you're, had you're that. You're doing your job. I mean, you're, you're doing your job. Well. Devil over Monty. I mean, uh, White Feather. I mean, that's that, that, that's that's pretty badass. If you ask I heard me. a story about Hathcock uh, one time. He was training a, a sniper course. Man, he was he was in a, in a shooting jacket, and you know he has all these scars and everything from. Uh, I think he was pulling some guys out of an APC or something like that. Right. And got burned up. Yep. And he was so focused. Well, I guess one thing he could do real well is switch. When he when he turned his switch on, it, he wouldn't come out of it till the till the pull till he pulled the trigger, right? And yeah. that was if everything was burning. If he was on fire, he just wouldn't. He wouldn't come out that of it. That's it. That's total zen kind of deal. And uh, they would say that he'd lean into that jacket into that. He was in the sitting position so hard that uh, he would break, rip those scars. You start, start seeing blood, blood come through his jacket. Through his jacket. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Oh, it's hardcore. That's super hardcore. I love it. Now, here's one an interesting <laughs> story about uh, and, and that's out there that we found that we thought would be cool to read, and it's called "Killing of the Killing the Cobra." 
One of Hathcock's most famous accomplishments was shooting the enemy sniper through the enemy's own rifle scope, hitting him in the eye and killing him. Hathcock and John Roland Burke, his spotter, were stalking the enemy sniper in the jungle near Hill 55, the firebase from which Hathcock was operating southwest of Da Nang. The sniper, known only as the Cobra, had already killed several Marines and was believed to have been sent specifically to kill Hathcock. When Hathcock saw a flash of light reflecting off the enemy sniper's scope in the bushes, he fired at it, shooting through the scope and killing the enemy sniper. Surveying the situation, Hathcock concluded that the only feasible way he could have put the bullet straight down the enemy's scope through his eye would have been if both snipers were zeroing in on each other at the same time and Hathcock just happened to fire first. <laughs> Given the f- flight time of rounds at long ranges, the snipers could have simultaneously killed one another. Hathcock took pos- possession of the dead sniper's rifle, hoping to bring it home as a trophy. But he, after he turned it in, uh, tagged it, and, and it stolen. was stolen from the armor. <clears throat> what, a, what a story, man. I mean, think about that. Think about the way events come together. Right. But the heavy part of that is that that, that sniper was doping in on him. Oh, he's ready. He could have. in on yeah. top of him. That's the only way that fight, meaning those skulls were parallel with each other. Yeah, they, they went boom. <laughs> and because of, oh, man. It, had it been any other time in the That's day. right? factor right there. Any other time in the day, it, you know, the sun not exactly in the right place where it flashed that glass, yeah. he would have been dead. Just goes to show you how squared away that dude was, man. He had tracked Hathcock down. He, tra- he got into Hathcock. I mean, that dude must have been awesome. But that's what I, the, the game of sniping, right? Yes, right there. It's chess, you know, and it's, I, I shouldn't call it a game because it's not a game when you're out there doing that stuff. But, you know, if for, for metaphorical purposes. Deadliest game. It's the deadliest game there yeah. is. And to get against somebody who is a proficient as you are, or I guess almost as proficient as you are in this case, is pretty remarkable. You know what I mean? <laughs> wow. Right. Um you know, and then there's other amazing stories about him killing the NVA general, right? You know, the, I, I want to talk about this one right now. And this is the one he, he describes as the best shot he ever made. And it was the killing the, of... Annoying Jane, right? Or, yeah, or it was the killing female, of the right? female star sniper, Apache. Here you go. This quote. She was a bad woman. Carlos Hathcock once said of the woman known as Apache. Normally, kill squads would just kill a Marine and take his shoes or whatever. But Apache was very sadistic. She would do anything to cause pain. That was the trademark of the Viet, the female Viet Cong platoon leader. She captured Americas in the area around Carlos Hathcock's unit and then tortured them without mercy. I was in her backyard. She was in mine. And I didn't like that, Hathcock said. It was personal, very personal. She's been torturing mar- Marines before I got there. In November 1966, she captured a Marine private and tortured him within an earshot of his own unit. She tortured him all afternoon, half the next day, Hathcock re- recalls. I was by the wire. He walked out, died right by the wire. Apache skinned the private, cut off his eyelids, and removed his fingernails, and then castrated him before letting him go. Hathcock attempted to save him, but it was too late. Carlos Hathcock had, a, had enough. He set out to kill Apache before she could kill any more Marines. Uh, one day, he and his spotter got a chance. They observed the MBI sniper platoon on the move. At 700 yards, one of them stepped off 
the trail, and Hathcock took what he calls the best shot he ever made. We were in the midst of switching rifles. We saw them, he remembered. I saw a group coming, five of them. I saw her squat to pee. That's how I knew it was her. Then tried to get her to stop, but she didn't stop. I stopped her. I put one extra in her for good measure. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, man. It's just... I, you, you start the process, you know, when you start getting up there and you start getting good at it. What an amazing skill set and what an invaluable asset to your unit uh, that you have that. Oh, you don't even realize how important it is till you're on the other end of it. Until <laughs> a sniper has you pinned down, you realize how uh, demoralizing that is. Right. When a round comes in, dude gets popped right next to you and you have any idea where it just came from? You can't hide anywhere. You know what I mean? Just yeah. start moving. Yeah. Imagine the NBA, man, when they knew this guy got on top of you, he was he was still coming, right? He's still going to he's wearing you down. Somebody's going, somebody else is going down. He'd stack them up like cordwood, man. And that's powerful. And, and, and it is about the demoralization of the enemy. I mean, some people out there say, oh, sniping's not honorable. Sniping's not this and all that. I, I just, I go, you never been to war. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you go out there by yourself. You've taken the, the Solomon Valley <laughs> to step away from your boys to protect them to go out there on your own. You're hanging it out there. You got to carry all that weight that goes with it. Mental and, oh, and, mor- the, the, and moral baggage. The psychological, and psychological weight. weight. You got to carry with it. How can you, how can you, I mean, those are our most honorable men that go out and do that. I, I believe, I believe you're right. I mean, they really understand, you know, the, the battlefield perspective, the, 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 the well, difference. See it. They, they watch, and they have to watch it. Yeah, yeah. and that's the great pay, the patience involved. Everybody, I mean, it's easy to get hot, caught up house to house, door to door. If that's what you. But it's that's so what kinetic, doing. right? That's yeah, so exactly. kinetic, Boom. and it's explosive, and it's the energy and the adrenaline. With this man, you have to manage all that for yeah. so long. God, that's and, what. That's kind of how you break up the monotony of laying there time and time again. Is that whole protocol of watching the war, right? So right. the perspective of a sniper is is broad. It is broad. Well, let's let's try and narrow it down right now. And let's bring on our incredible guest, you know, Army Ranger sniper extraordinaire, Mr. Nicholas Irving. Let's get him on the show, shall we? I am telling you what, when any time that you get around a ranger, any time you get around a man that is as gone to the dark side if you will and that's the army that's the rangers that's that's everything you're part of you it changes a man it changes him into a well frankly it changes him into a professional right yeah and anytime that you can be around somebody who is a professional really top level what they do it makes you better especially when they're cool as hell so it is a honor brother to welcome the Reaper, Nick Irving, to the show, man. Thanks for coming on, Nick. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So I don't know if you've gone back and, and gotten a wild hair uh, you know, going, but maybe you've listened to how we start these things off. But So what we do is Marcus and I will throw a mad minute out at you. I can't you. openly admit to watching uh, or listen to a podcast from two Navy guys. So. <laughs> we won't even put him on the on, on the, the spot, spot for that. Good, good point. Good point. Check, Roger. I belay my last. All right. So what we do to get warmed up to to start, you know, softening up that gray matter upstairs, Nick, is we're going to throw a little mad minute at you. 
Now we're gonna go a little alternating rapid fire at you. We're gonna get the mod deuce of of psychological expansion going on you, and we're gonna we're gonna see what some of the craziest answers you got in that brain of yours is. So are you ready to go? Got it. Craziest answers. Ready. Well, normal, which is crazy for us. So, all right, Marcus, fire away. All right, brother. Favorite superhero? Superman. Thank you. Thank you. No Hulk. No Spider-Man. Hulk's pretty cool, though. Hulk's pretty cool. Right? That's who Goggins loves. Goggins. Hulk's pretty cool. Goggins. All right, all right. You ready? What's one skill that you would like to have that you currently don't? Oh, wow. One skill that I like to have that I currently don't. Oh, man. Um, being a gourmet chef. Oh, cool. Hmm. I like that. That's super cool. Makes sense. Smart. Right? You got to eat, man. You got to eat. Might as well eat well. Figures. Exactly. Rangers were always good at yeah, making those MREs into something that was Ranger cookbook, <laughs> dude. Ranger cookbook. I didn't really know that existed until I was uh, going through Delta. Me, it, it, same as me. That first time out behind in the thing <laughs> in the woods and the, one of the Rangers, a, awesome. a, a guy from Somalia was like, dude, why are you eating the, like what, that? He, what are you goes, doing? he goes, he yeah. goes, and I'm like, Oh, this is good. Yeah. Meal, man. That's it, where you learn. Ranger school is where it starts out. <laughs> so I'd go over there. When we were on the field, I'd just hunker over there next to you. Oh, uh, right next to <laughs> Hey, man, you going to yep. eat that? Yeah, I, got, I, got, I got extra. Uh, extra. Uh, first car. First car uh, was a Saturn, a green Saturn. Nice. Four or two? Four. Mm-hmm. Four. Got to go big <laughs> or go home, man. Yeah. Saturn. Awesome. My first, my cheap, my sea daddy drove one of those. TV inside that thing too. It was uh, it was legit, man. Yeah, that is so. square. All right, last question. Go ahead, buddy. All right, uh, sing a song as good as the artist who sings it. Halftime Super Bowl. Which song would it be? Uh, uh, uh Lady Gaga, Star Spangled Banner, maybe. Yeah, dude, I did not expect that at all. You did rock that song, though. Best ever, yeah. dude. Right, yeah. Best ever. Lady Gaga. Best ever. Yeah, Gaga. We're going to try and get her on, by the way. All right. All right. So, all right. Next thing. What is your, oh, here's a better one. Have you ever felt invincible? Yes. When? After, after uh, getting the tambourine and my first deployment in Ranger Battalion. Awesome. 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 That is when you feel. Yeah, mighty. When right. that thing first goes, ding, 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 ding. ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and then it quickly, quickly changes thereafter. Sure. <laughs> Sure. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Shortly after, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. That first snap. Yep. Right? The next morning, yep. with the hangover, it's like, oh, yep. <laughs> New guy, get yeah, in right, here. Yeah. Haircut, <laughs> check the watch bill. All right, play out a movie character in real life. Who would it be? Oh, wow. Movie, uh, uh, John Wick. Oh, my God, yes. John Wick. We Tim Kennedy was on recently with us. And uh, he knows all the dudes that trained him. And, yep. uh, and do you know those guys? Yeah, I shot down there with uh, uh, Terran Tactical. Yeah. Terran, yeah, Terran Tactical. I shot down there, shot the same course of fire that he shot. Really, really good course of fire, man. And that, like, that dude's legit. I'd be scared to go up against him in a, in a gunfight. Uh, maybe, maybe. 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 Iffy. Maybe. Because <laughs> he is 50, Nick. It, and it, if you got beat by... You got, I mean, yeah, he looks legit, though, distance. man. I need distance, man. Distance, I'm good. <laughs> What'd yeah, you okay, say, what, what are you talking about, man? We'll be staying off that dude. You, he wouldn't even know it's coming. Uh, he looks legit. And when he, he does the, uh, he goes to his offhand in the, when they're in that bathhouse. I didn't catch yeah. that in the beginning. And uh, yep. I was watching it one time. It used to be my going to sleep movie until 
Yeah, Melanie, just she's bizarre. bizarre. But, you know. Instead, she wanted all the the the, <laughs> the serial killer episodes. But him going to that offhand, those guys who had to hold him, they they, they did a great job. All right, last question: What is your greatest failure in life? Greatest failure in life. Greatest failure in life. Oh man! Oh, my first startup company. Greatest failure in life taught me a lot about, I guess, starting up businesses and stuff like that. Uh, customer service and all that. So greatest failure would be the first startup company. Oh, brother, I, I, I've, I've started seven businesses, failed at six of them. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, I think I've done four now and I've only, yeah, no, I've done five, failed at four. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Find the one you're most passionate about and that's the one that'll work, dude. Exactly. It's hard right. to figure out how good you're doing if you never failed at anything. Right? Yep. Right? All right, so that's the Mad Minute. We, we like to stretch the time as we typically do. But the real reason why people are on this show and, and why they're tuning in, and especially tuning in to you, Nick, is because they want to be better. They want mm-hmm. to face adversity. They want to overcome the obstacles. And they, there is an amazing respect for you out there in this world, including from us. And, and so if you could... Could you share with our listeners your greatest never quit story? Oh, yeah, man, definitely. It's nothing like Marcus's, uh, you know, story or anything like that, which mad respect to Marcus. I saw I was getting in battalion just as uh, that mission went down. And as of recent, got a chance to see uh, Lone Survivor, which is by far one of the uh, best military war movies uh, that I've ever seen when it comes to the action portion of it. That was as close to combat as you possibly could get. And realistic, and I can really relate to that story. Um, so mine would have to be in uh, Helmand, Helmand Province, Afghanistan, 2009. Uh, went on a, a reconnaissance mission. It was me and uh, five other guys. We had me, my sniper, uh, spotter, and we had uh, four other reconnaissance guys, uh, rangers. Um, sent out on a five-day operation, man, and to go track down this HVT, a high-value target. Um, one of my first, uh, I guess, cool guy missions that I've ever done where you <laughs> operate in those really, really small teams. So you get that really, really big cocky head and you're, you know, invincibly like, dude, I'm doing the movie stuff now, you know, Chuck <laughs> Lewis type stuff. Went out there, man. And uh, the first four days were, you know, pretty, pretty quiet. Um, didn't sleep much. We had about 35 minutes to an hour worth of sleep total. Uh, just tracking this guy down, man. Uh, we got on the fourth day. We met up with uh, some Marines, um, some hardcore Marines who were out at this little uh, fob base. They got ambushed and they got attacked every single morning. And me being the uh, the cherry E5 sergeant sniper team leader that I was, I volunteered to uh, take me and my spotter out there to eliminate some of the threats that were attacking their fob. Um Made the phone call back to uh, our headquarters, and we got clear for the operation. We went out there with uh, some Marine Scout snipers who were, dude, some of the you know best snipers that I've ever had a chance to, to serve with, see, operate, and shoot with. Also competed with them in the international sniper competition. They ended up winning uh, that competition. I think we got fourth place. Wow. Uh, great, great, great guys, man. Um, precision shooters by you know by far some of the some of the best precision sh- uh, shooters out there. Uh, went out there. We got a uh, set up a little urban sniper hide. Uh, nothing too fancy. Nothing out of control. Just uh, you know something simple. No loophole shoots or anything like that. Stayed out there all night. I think I went through an entire can of Copenhagen and an entire pack of Hodge cigarettes that were, <laughs> you know, the twenty year old tobacco. Yeah. 
doesn't <laughs> taste like anything but just pure crap, you know. Oh, um, I love them. That in like three hours, man. Did you get? Did you get uh, into the, 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 the bag that the the green putty that came that they carried in the bag? Yeah, I just yeah. carry that, man. And when we'd run out, you borrow that from. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Boy, yeah, I know that. I know that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dad, dude, yeah. Oh man, good memories. Um. Yeah, we uh, stayed out there for an additional 12 hours, and finally that morning, uh, you know, they decided to come out and attack. Uh, one of the longest shots that I had, or second longest shots uh, that I had overseas, uh, just under half a mile or just right at half a mile. Oh, wow. Um, some Marines were coming to uh, clear out this little compound where they had been attacking from. Uh, saw a guy pop out with an RPG about 35, 40 meters away from a Marine Humvee, and he's, you know, raising up his RPG about to fire. My spotter's giving me some really good wind calls and sent the one round, uh, caught Trace like right as it almost apexed, lost it, and then saw it impact the guy like center mass and collapsed like an 18-wheeler truck hit him. Nice. Uh, fell from the sky and hit him. I was like, oh, it's a pretty clean shot. Uh, then we proceeded to get ambushed. Uh, we didn't have helmets on, so we got our combo guy on the bottom. He's chunking up helmets and Either I'm going to get knocked out by a Kevlar helmet or I'm going to get swacked in the head with a 762. Low <laughs> uh, crawling out. It's not like, that, like in the movies, head. it's so graceful, right? Everything is, is graceful and planned out. And the chaos behind when chaos, it hits the man. fan, dude, is just duck Horrible. on a pond, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, DD Maud back out to uh, the Marine compound. They're like, you know, dude, you blew the guy out of his uh, slippers or socks or something. Uh, the rest of the Rangers joined in on us to finish off our initial object, uh, objective to go capture this HVT. Um, we planned it out, did a quick hash plan, and headed out later on that night. And I remember being so tired, uh, didn't have much water at all. I think I had two bottles of water, just extremely tired. My throat felt like I had swallowed a uh, not, not to cut of you top. off, man, is it winter or summer yeah. now? Oh, this was summertime. Yeah, all right. This was summertime, Delta Province. Uh, yeah. Uh, 2009, uh, we headed out, and I remember um, the Marines took us out on deuce and a half. Uh, yeah. Really, well, yeah, really uncomfortable rides, man. Old school shit. <laughs> Old school, man. Basic training style. Get out there. God, and I remember stepping off, and it looked like a scene from Aladdin. If you ever go back and watch the movie Aladdin, not that you would at this age now, but if you did... Watch the movie a lot. Ooh, all the got, I got kids, man. I, like I got that. two girls, bro. All I do is watch oh. princess movies. Got it right here, man. Perfect, perfect, man. Yeah, dude. Um, I remember getting off and seeing all these big sand dunes. Um, initially, we were going to walk in like twenty something miles, and I was like, "Scratch this mission, man." And I'm, you know, uh, walking long distances as ranger as we are. I hate walking long distances. It sucks. It sucks. You know, uh, luckily we did not have to do that. But we walked a few clicks. I want to say it was close to eight to ten clicks, which is far when you're walking up and down sand dunes. We walked through the city, walked through uh, uh, some those ravines, the water ravines Why? that yeah. everyone yeah. tries to avoid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, walked through those a little bit. We finally reach our objective, and it sucks fighting in the daytime. There's nothing worse for me, a small elements, is fighting in the daytime. Man, I like operating at night. Yeah, we're, we we're not set up for that. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That daytime stuff, and, and just just out of curiosity, talking, we didn't wear body armor either, helmets. In my, if we did have a helmet, it was protect just to come out of the helo. That recon yep. and, and the sniper elements, man. Uh, backlight, freezing night, move with purpose, that kind of. Yeah, same same deal, man. Same deal. 
Um, I think the SEALs had it way cooler than what we had. Always. Uh, you guys always got the <laughs> guy equipment, Never man. Never got that, ever. <laughs> I was jealous of SEALs, man. Back in, I remember uh, we worked a lot with SEAL Team 6, and uh, I think it was SEAL Team 3, I believe. And watching you guys, one, you guys are all six foot six, and you guys all have the coolest gear ever. That's just, you know, my thing that I did not like SEALs for. But now, later on in life, I'm like, ah, SEALs are actually really cool guys. Thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah. We're glad we could we could adapt and, and, and turn it around for you, Nick. That's <laughs> all about, man. All right. Uh, so yeah, there you were. You're in. You're in. You're walking through 20 clicks. It's hot as shit. What happened? Uh, we set up a blocking position while the assault element went in to capture the HVT. And as the sun's coming up. The locals started coming out, and I remember shining my laser, uh, my red dot laser, on some dude on the moped, his chest. I circled his chest, then I circled his face. He kind of stopped, and he looked at me with this dead stare. And I knew at that moment something was about to go down, so we kind of hunkered down a little bit. Uh, then I see this big gathering of about 10 individuals, man, like in a football huddle. And then all of a sudden, it was ready break. And I had this uh, really weird feeling. I looked at my uh, recon team leader. I'm like, dude, I think we're about to get ambushed. And he's like, yeah, we should hunker down. Uh, no shit. 30 seconds later, man, the grass started getting cut, like all around us, just uh, machine guns, uh, RPGs. We had all wow. types of stuff thrown at us, full 360 ambush. Um, we're getting hit pretty hard. We found this little hole that we had walked over, um, maybe four feet wide, two feet deep. If that, we all jumped in, who all could fit. It was four of us at the time. I'm on top of, you know, my guys' bodies. They're on top of, I got legs on top of me, and I'm taking crack shots at guys. See a machine gun element uh, about 800 meters, 500 meters, posting up around the buildings and starting to engage our position. And I remember thinking, oh, this is it, man. Um, we got pinned down the, the one of the most fiercest gun battles that I've been in. Um, grasses uh, snapping. I hear the loud pops. Uh, we had bullet holes in our clothes and stuff like that from the bullets um, passing through our, our clothing. No way. Yeah, man. Everyone on that mission had at least one bullet hole inside their, in their pants or their shirt or something like that. Um, we're starting to engage, and I call for air support. And during that time, I think the collateral damage was uh, they could not accept anything more than a point. Oh, yeah. Zero I remember when that started coming point. online. Yep. Yeah, man. Could not accept any collateral damage, so I called in for a, a B-2 and F-16s. F-16s came over. They did a quick flyby. Uh, not sure if they broke the sound barrier with all the chaos, but they flew over. Nothing happened. B-2 comes in. They pop flares to try to deter. Yeah. Uh, what is that called? The show of force. Right. They did a show of force. <laughs> pop flares kept going. I was like, dude. But when I first saw the uh, B-2, I thought I was hallucinating. It looked like a UFO or something. And I'm a big, like, uh, UFO guy. And I was like, I think there's a UFO right there. We're gonna Get the camera. Every, yeah. Hold on a second. Time, time out, old Taliban's oh, yeah. head. We're going to get a snapshot. There's a there's a UFO passing by. Oh, yeah. And he comes screaming in, man, uh, you know, low on the deck. He's maybe a few hundred feet off the deck. Pops, flares, uh, does nothing. Panel check. Firefight intensifies. And we call in for our reinforcements, uh, the assault element, a blocking position from the assault element. They denied that. They were like, hey, you guys got to fight your way out. And, um, and we're, you know, starting to think that this is it. I'm running low on ammo. My spotter's starting to take, uh, you know, with shots that he can only hit 100 meters in. And then we're starting to hear footsteps. You can hear the pounding of their foot, their feet, uh, you know, running around our little position we were hunkered down in. And I'm like, dude, uh, you know, tell my parents, tell the wife, 
you know, I fought hard. This is, I think this is it. Pounded his fist, man. He's like, dude, no, your wife's Hispanic. It's not happening. She's going to kick my ass. If I <laughs> no way. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's awesome. So, uh, my recon team leader, he pulls out a grenade and he pulls out a smoke grenade and we're debating on, should we just take our own lives or try to pop smoke and, and, and get back to, uh, the main element made that was not looking too good getting back. So we all, you know, decided this is it. We're going to jump on this grenade last minute, pull the pin, try to take as many guys out as we can. Um, and you know, right before that happened, I look over my left shoulder and I see a machine gun team come in, uh, is led by corporal Benjamin cop and a few other guys. They come, they said, have you ever seen the movie or the cartoon, uh, road runner yeah. where the road runners running and the dirt's kicking up behind them. That's what it looked like. These guys came in, slid in. Mm. They start laying down suppressive fire. I'm like, holy hell, man. That allowed us to bound back. So team leader Pop Smoke, Murphy's Law came into play. Uh, the wind blew the opposite direction we wanted it to. Of course. So we had no cover. We're just bounding back. And uh, we were also pinned down by this guy who believed at the time was a Chechen enemy sniper. And he's like taking really, really good precise shots at us. We put, we, uh, me and the team leader, we rose our heads up. And a bullet snapped right between my face and his face. And <laughs> you I, oh, lucky SOB. <laughs> yeah, man. I went down. He goes down. The recon medic, he's like, who's hit? Who's hit? You know, someone had to have gotten hit. I'm thinking he said he thinks I'm hit. Luckily, nothing happened. We bound back to the machine gun team. And the weirdest thing happened. All the fire stopped. Uh, I was like, ah, that's weird. And I kind of got not cocky. I was just caught up in the moment. Um, things got a little, uh, fuzzy. So I led the element out and we started walking down this little, uh, tree line. And next to this tree line is a little ravine. Um, right when we make that little, uh, L shaped turn, a dog leg turn, we get ambushed again. I see the ground pop up like old Vietnam style. Uh, they come out of the ground and they're taking, you know, control pair shots at our guys. I'm like, you know, 25, 35 feet away. Wow. I dive head first into the ravine. It's about chest deep. And I didn't care how far or how deep the ravine went down. I was like, you know what? At this point in time, I don't care anymore. I just need to get down inside this ravine. Almost like you, Marcus, when you guys were jumping off the, the mountains and stuff like that. Joyce, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like, screw that, you know? And at that I, point, I wrote something down earlier up. when you were talking about getting low and how many guys you had in one hole. Getting low, and it, it takes on a whole new meaning oh. when that starts going in. And my brother explained this to me the best way when the first time he ever got engaged. He goes, man, there was a rock about the size of my shoe, and I climbed in yep. it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With my <laughs> rifle. Everything fit. And, uh, and then the Bomb first time you yeah. have to do that, when, when you're like, oh, I think I'm low, and then that bull whip snaps on your head, you're like, watch how low yep. I can get now, Jack. <laughs> you dig it with oh, your yeah. chin. Man. All right, hey, so you, you, that point. You, you jump in there. What, what, what next? I uh, started engaging targets. I looked through my scope. I had an SR-25, uh, nicknamed it Dirty Diana, big Michael Jackson fan mm. growing up, named it Dirty Diana, and I start taking snapshots. I see, you know, the scope would fill up with a human face, and I'd you know, crack that guy, move on to the next, move on to the next. I'm like, dude, these people have to run out of ammunition at some point in time. Um, not the case, man. Not the machine gun team that came in to save us, uh, that was led by cop. I see him. He's got his left leg up on a, uh, the dry part of land and his right leg is in the water. Looking over at him, I hear this loud snapping. And I'm thinking that it's an assaulter who's got his M4 right by my ear. 
I'm looking over. I'm like about to push this guy away. Like, dude, I'm about to go death. And I look, no one's there, but I can see the ground exploding on the uh, the back side of the embankment. It's like crack shots going off from the enemy sniper and uh, some AK fire. Kind of move off to the left a little bit. The next sound I heard was uh, if you took a ruler and smacked it against a pillow. Uh, that's what it sounded like. And it was followed by a bunch of screams and look over again. And I see this, you know, 20 foot arterial spray of blood you know, shooting out of cop's leg. He got struck twice in his femoral artery. Oh, man. Uh, with an AK round. He goes down, and that ravine we were in started to turn slowly into, you know, uh, just a, a dark, muddy blood red. Oh. And I could taste, it was almost like tasting pennies. I went under a little bit, and I could taste pennies. It's like, man, that's this guy's blood, you know, cop's blood. And the medic goes in, he starts to treat him. I push off to the right a little bit. And start engaging more targets. I look back at my PL, my platoon leader, and he's talking. He's like, Irv, we got to get out of here. We got to go. Um, I was going to lead our element out to the safe house that we had established after the main assault force captured our HVT. Um, as I'm talking to him, I pull him in close to, you know, scream in his ear. And I feel the splash of water uh, hit my face. And I was like, ah, maybe a bullet smacked the water or something like that. And then he just falls from my grasp. And as he falls down, I see this gaping hole in his chest. Oh, man. I'm like, oh, crap, man. This guy said, so I go down with him and kind of blacked out a little bit. And everyone says, you know, you're not scared in combat or anything. Dude, I was scared, man. Like, I almost blacked out from just the, the shock of seeing OB. You know, what just happened. Yeah, just what happened was just, you know, uh, that's, just the shock of that. That's unbelievable. I, I mean, yeah. keep, keep going. I, I mean, I've, I've got a thousand questions, but I don't want to interrupt you, man. This is an amazing, amazing story. Oh, thank you, man. Uh, yeah, so the my spotter, Pemberton, he comes over and he sticks his fingers inside the hole to try to stop the bleeding. And I don't know who it was. I believe it was my reconnaissance medic or no, uh, the reconnaissance combo guy comes over and he smacks me on the head. He's like, come on, let's go get back in it. I snap out of it. And I remember thinking, am I going to be able to shoot this rifle that's been submerged, you know, on completely underwater, come back up, and the first shot that I took, this long super soaker type spray of water comes out the end, and it's like oh, that didn't explode, and just kept engaging targets. Wow! Uh, at that point in time, we started to drag our wounded out. Uh, the PL, he's still making phone calls, making sure everybody's okay. Our comms calls, cops, he's he's coming past us on this makeshift stretcher, and as he's passing by, uh, he was a tanned reddish guy. And as he's fall, uh, coming by me, I see him go by and he's just pale, pale white. Yeah. And every time we had to get low where the embankment did not provide cover, we'd have to dunk him under like, hey, dude, hold your breath. We're going under. We'd go under, come back up, and he's passed out. You know, medics are working on him. And that went on for about 300 meters. Oh. Uh, I'm dog tired. And I took the rear up. And I'm thinking, you know, I hope Hodge just comes into this ravine and just sprays me, man. You know, get this thing over with. I debated sticking my hand up. You know, to get my hand taken off or something like that to just get out of there, man, get medevac. But I started to think, well, if I get hit in my hand, what if the bullet goes in and like hits an artery or something? So I don't want to do that. Kept fighting, kept fighting. I'm down to uh, two mags at this point. I went in with 210 rounds. So I know I have 40 rounds left. Uh, take the lead. We sprint across to this safe house that uh, I was going to establish. Me and my spotter were going to establish a higher position to you know, start sway laying on these dudes. And I looked at my spot. I'm like, dude, when we get up here, we're killing every single bad guy we lay eyes on. Um, he's like, Roger that. We run out. Uh, we got suppressive fire coming off the rooftop uh, as we're running in. 
Go into the safe house. We find uh, a ladder that we didn't even have. It was one of the locals' ladders. We climbed up on the rooftop, put in that last fresh mag, man, and Spotter comes up with his 300 wind mag, and we were engaged in targets from 20 feet all the way to about a mile. Wow. Um, this, and, and we could see, uh, like, big, not SUVs, uh, vans and Hilux vehicles coming in with offloading ammo, offloading guns and RPGs and guys coming in. Everyone's running really low on ammo. And the Ranger mentality, SEAL mentality, Spec Ops mentality, um, it's, you know, you stay to the last man until the mission's complete, all bad guys are done. Um, and at that point, I was like, well, we don't have any ammo. Guys are talking about we're about to start going hand-to-hand combat, which had occurred. Didn't find out till later. Uh, some guy threw a grenade. He got thrown back. He threw it back at him. Guy turned into Picasso on the side of the embankment. Um, guys are drowning, guys. The chaplain was there. I think he swacked a few guys. And <laughs> the combat camera guy. Getting heavy when, um, they, when, they, when that yeah, comes he in. he put down his camera, grabbed a rifle from one of our wounded guys, and he starts you know, engaging targets as well. So we're fighting for 12 hours now. Uh, made the final decision to just head back, called in for the Marine element that dropped us off to come in and get us. When they found out where we were, the report we got back was, whoa, we didn't know you guys were going there. We're not allowed to go in there with anything less than a brigade. And we have, yeah, we got 35 guys and they said that we have to run about almost a mile to where they were allowed to go. And this is through all open, you know, terrain, all open field. Uh, You know, start downgrading. I'm down to about, 10 rounds at this point. My spotter's down to two rounds. Um, I take the lead. I'm like, screw it. You know, if it happens, it happens. If I get hit, I get hit. Um, I take the lead. I start sprinting out. They put me up front because they were like, ah, you know, it's a black guy. Probably sprint pretty fast, (laughs) which is true. So I take take lead and, you know, I I start heading out and, you know, snapshots are coming at us. I'm engaging a few targets when I could. And it's the fastest I've probably ran a mile ever in my life. I've, I don't think I've ever ran or could run that, you know, that that time again. It was like Olympic speeds, man. Um, get there. And when we get there, we got 35 guys plus some um, guys we had captured. And there's like four Humvees there. And each Humvee already is full to capacity. They got their Marines in there. So you got driver, TC, machine gunner. And we have to fit 35 guys into these vehicles plus our detainees. I'm like, dude, this is reminding me a lot like Black Hawk Down. Yeah. Guys are piling God, sounds in. Familiar. Um, oh, yeah. Piling in. Guys are on top of vehicles. Um, I, w- I had a 50 cal machine gunner Marine standing on my chest. My head's on my spotter's lap and my legs are across some other guy's lap. Nathan. Nathan is his name. Um, cross him. And the only thing I wanted at that point was a cigarette. I'm like, dude, somebody in here has to have a cigarette. Mine got soaked in the ravine. A Marine passes me a smoke, light it, smoke it. And I go to flick it out the, this is where it really gets bad. I flick it out the uh, the hatch and totally forgot how wind works and stuff like that. Cigarette falls back in and gets inside my body armor, my mm, shirt, yeah. and I'm starting to burn. I'm like, dude, I'm on fire. I'm on fire. I'm screaming. And they think that I'm hit. And I'm like, no, I'm cigarette chest so they start pouring the water on me man we're driving through this little town get back (laughs) and it was like when we got back to the compound it was like nothing ever happened the guys went back i stayed for an additional couple of hours with uh, my reconnaissance team um uh couldn't sleep for a while after that still stayed awake went out on a few more missions after that man but uh we got word on july 
9th. No, it was July 18th. July 18th, 2009, we got word that uh, Ben Cop didn't make it. So he died. Oh, man. Yeah, he ended up dying days later. But his whole thing was, you know, getting out. He didn't want to die in combat. No one wants to die in, you know, Afghanistan. No one wants to die in Iraq in that dirty, dirty place. So he at least made it back out, man, is gave his last breath uh, uh, with family and away from that environment. Uh, 21 years old, man. Uh, that's when he that's when he died. We had three casualties that day. Everyone else lived but him. Um, got his name tattooed on, you know, my arm. I wear his bracelet. I have his hat that his mom sent me in his diary. Uh, impacted my life greatly because everyone on that mission should have never, ever made it back. You know, especially that little hole we were in. And I remember, you know, uh, did a few interviews after that, talked to a few people and me telling them, you know, a piece of me did die in Afghanistan. You know, I don't think that I should be here and all this and that. But, you know, uh, it is what it is, man. That's just war. And it, it sucks that it happens to be that way. But I look at life now and I'm like, you know what? I didn't quit. I went through a really, really hard time after I got out, did the whole, you know, alcohol abuse and self-medication yep. and attempted suicide and all that stuff man at one point in my life yeah there you go man me too brother Been there yep did that and, and 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 you know 2016 i have a son you know and and now i'm living for him you know type deal it's just a it's a weird full circle type of uh way of thinking but that was my no quit as much as i wanted to quit it's my greatest no quit you know uh a story, man. That in Ranger School. I went to quit in Ranger School every single day and lost five pounds there. But compares nothing to combat. No, man. And, it doesn't, does it? Yeah, nothing, man. I'm, you know, looking at Marcus in that movie, watching that movie brought back so many uh, memories, and I could relate so greatly to that. It's like, dude, I've I've been there, you know. Oh, fought in those mountains, and that's what I was thinking about when you day. when you were talking about that. I go, and the way I look at it is, especially being reconnaissance was a cool part about because we walked across the same ground that all those armies did before us. I mean, we've got a chance to fight yep. in those, in those places that all those great warriors did, man. And the one thing, uh, when, when I was listening to you talk, the, the mud and the blood combo, that copper taste, I remember yeah. when I looked at Mikey, he was talking to me and his teeth are all, it was covered. You can't see, you can't see the whites of the teeth. And I was like, oh man, I hope my teeth don't look like that. <laughs> and in the middle of that, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, it's bad, dude. Hey, you got a toothbrush. Yeah. And then, <laughs> And then, man, there was plenty of times, it's funny, it took till you get into the, uh, when you were getting burned on your chest, that the hot brass samba. You know, yeah, I mean, dude, you you, you want to get out of everywhere when that people, oh, when, when, you start, my God. When, when you start catching on fire on your chest, man, that's a... It just sticks, man. It just ah, sticks and bolts in there, yeah. yeah. Well, Nick, I, you know, when I hear that story, one, just thanks for sharing that with, with us and yeah, with our listeners. Epic, that, man. That, that's powerful. And I know, I know there's you know, thousands of details that you left out to be courteous of us in this time. And as you're in that moment, and, and obviously what I really appreciate most about how you described it was what are those pivotal moments in your mind where you're like, mm -hmm. you know what, I'm going to stick my hand up or, you know, I'm going to, we're going to pull this grenade and we're going to go out, you know, like sailor and, you know, mm -hmm. but, but you, you didn't. And, yeah. and, and one of the moments that really sticks out in my mind was the burst of motivation you got from watching cops heroism, right? Yeah. The, the way he came out and charged and the way I loved the visual of the roadrunner spinning his wheels to get there as fast as he could to save your life. Yeah. Why, why do you think cop did that? Dude, I, I, 
think about it every day, every second. There's not ever, you know, a, a time where I don't think about it. And it's just the brotherhood, you yes. know, um, in that moment, nothing else matters. You know, you, you might have a fight with that guy or you might have an argument with that guy. You might love this guy like, you know, your own. But at that point in time, it, it's all about the brotherhood. And it's so hard for those who haven't been there to understand what that brotherhood brother, uh, brotherhood means. And to me, it's just uh, when you know when you're willing to, to sacrifice your life, which he did. He ran through about 800 meters to 1,000 meters of heavy machine gun fire. I mean, these guys are shooting as they're walking and, and running. Um, he sacrificed. You know, he didn't care about his own life to, you know, to save us. And I mean, I would have done it. You know, uh, you know, in, in return, and any of the guys would, any of the guys would. But it's just a brotherhood, man. That. <clears throat> It, it, it can't be understood. It's hard to describe. It's hard to explain. But it's just the brotherhood, man, the, the love. We've all been through the same training. We've all, you know, uh, done the uh, same stuff and been on to the same dirt together. Uh, why not? You know, why not? What are the. Oh, I, yeah, for, just, uh, I was telling somebody one day about it is. And then the hardest part about it, when you say you left a part of yourself and we function out in normal society, the part that you leave. <laughs> I was sitting around thinking about this one time. You know, the soldiers cry. When, when you see a soldier laying down by his buddy and he's looking up, reaching up, and that scream you got, man, the part you leave behind, that's the, your soul yep. being ripped out, right? That's it. Part of yeah. it, every good and bad moment that you go through with those guys, because it's a lot, right, is ripped away from you right there. It ends yep. right there, and you see it happen. That's the difference, right? It's not dying yep. in a hospital bed when you're old. You've already moved on. It's like right there, and it's all those powerful points that man, when that part hits, it's just uh, it's that that's what gets ripped out of you. And that that fear you were talking about, the craziest part about that whole deal is when you're in the middle of something crazy like that, and then you become afraid. Yeah, you know, it got turned up, right? And the, yep. the fear part is what we harness. That's what makes us good at what we do. When you pass that to the, I had that too. The, there was one time I was afraid. Yeah, uh, it's just it, it's in the end moments, right? Pulling the pin on a grenade, I had to do that too. <laughs> did you really yeah with gulab i didn't yeah. know remember that? i don't ever yeah. talk about that man but i pulled that pin and when you go to the end moment when it's like me this yep. grenade and then everybody else who walks up on me and i end to repin it you're like you're only supposed to have one end moment in your life right the end yeah when you when you roll through multiple of those that's the perspective that we have that's yeah that's, no it changes your life i mean you never look at life the same after moments like that uh, you get precious. out to the civilian world man and and I look at it like, what can you not do at this point in time? You've already been there, done that. You've done the extreme. What can you not do at this point in time? Well, that's 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 the mantra you got to tell yourself. Sure. But getting to the point where you accept that, that's a long mm -hmm. road, well, man. Well, ultimately, what you need to know when yeah. you get out, man, and transcribe, just like what he said, is like, now we know how far we can be pushed before uh, we break in every direction, right? So in yep. the civilian world, it's hard to get pushed that far unless you go back to a comedy. Well, get, the rules are so different. The rules are yeah. so different. They're actually, it, which is which is twisted and and not is counterintuitive to most human dynamics. The rules of the civilian world don't apply to us. We don't function. We are we weren't born into those rules. We were born out of them through the yeah. the crucible of training, and then yeah, through, trained out of it. Trained out of it, and then and then the forging of combat. Man, it rewrites your code. So well, it hammers it in there. Normally, when no combat, you flip the switch, right? Right. What the combat part does is 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 snaps you into that forever, right? And, and breaks that mold in those guys. When you come back, yeah, it's, it's that transition part that's hard. But once you realize 
what has actually happened is that you've been tested to the end and, and made it through there. So you know how far your body can go and your mind can go. And then accepting that part, which we left behind and moving into this feeling, like with the kids, right? Now nah, it's just yeah. everything you learned. It may have been a tactical thing, but you can implement it into that raising that kid. Raising like, oh, children. Oh, oh, dude. There. That's what I try every day. The problem is, is like the when, sleep part is what we were laughing about earlier. Like, man, when, when you dude, get, I've been awake for five days straight, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it's totally different. Totally Lord different. Uh, all right, Nick. When, when you're going through training and you're thinking about, you know, all right, I, this is awesome. I know I'm going to war. I, I'm excited. I'm stoked. When did the reality of war hit you to where it altered your true perception of it? I want to say the first dead guy I saw. Um, I did so six combat deployments, did six deployments. The first one was more or less like, well, I remember seeing all this stuff on CNN, like the, the night vision and the tracers and stuff. I was like, oh, this is just like TV. It's not that bad. Um, killed a few guys at deployment and... The second deployment, or the, that ending that first deployment is when I saw my first dead guy. One of the snipers had shot a, a guy who was holding a child. He was trying to hide behind his child and shoot him. So our sniper, his name was Alex. He shot him, dumped the guy over the ledge, and when he landed, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's a real dead body. I've never you know, seen one of those before. I was just staring at it like, oh, you know, that's, it, this is real life. Things can, things can happen. Second deployment is when very first day in the country, we went out. Uh, did a daylight operation. I was a striker driver for this one. Uh, part-time striker, part-time machine gunner. And uh, very first operation, the lead striker got blown up by an IED. And that was, you know, watching a 40-ton vehicle get lifted off the ground. I was like, oh, whoa, this is, you know, right in front of me. It's like, this is real life, man. Yeah. Um, that same deployment, one of our guys got hit. Um, then we started deploying to Afghanistan. Uh, we went to Jalalabad, uh, Bagram. Um, all those areas, man, Can, uh, Kandahar, Bagram, Jalalabad. Um, yeah, it was, uh, that's where it was like a oh, different element and you've got a chance to see different sides of the enemy. Iraq was like, you know, city fighting Afghanistan was, this is no, you know, shit, scary, uh, open field fighting. You can't really see the enemy that well. You're just getting shot at. And it's, it's a, it's a frustrating way of fighting a uh, really, really good guerrilla warfare. Um, did a few more deployments there off and on back to Iraq, back to Afghanistan. But uh, first dead guy uh, was the first time I thought, oh, yeah, this is really combat. And then losing someone. Um, no, that was that was uh, that was surreal. Most of the time it was fun because you're around your brotherhood and you feel like yep. Superman. You're like, dude, I'm I'm a cool guy, you know. <laughs> and when you get back off off of an operation and as you're driving around the 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 camp or on base and all the guys who don't go out and fight. They're looking at you like, whoa, those guys are, you know, you could tell those guys use their weapons, you know? That's cool. That's a good, cool. good, good feel, man. What, what was the pivotal moment for you making the decision, all right, I'm done, I need to get out? 2009. Uh, after losing COP, uh, we did about, we averaged about 120 missions per 90 days. And that op, that last mission, after hitting rock bottom and saying, Dude, this is a uh, you know this is this is starting to hit home and and starting to get up here a little bit. Things changed at the house. Uh, wasn't the same. Became really really aggressive and picked up some bad habits. Um, after that, I was like, you know what, I'm done. Uh, got out and money got really really tight and it's like, well, I'm back in. So I picked up private military contracting. Did that for a little bit. I uh, was done with that and I was like, dude, I'm making six figures and I'm 
you know, early 20s. Um, and that was the problem being in my early 20s, have no concept of money management. Yeah. Blew all that. Uh, woke up one day, take the wife to work and no car in the driveway. Didn't pay the bills and couldn't afford it. House was about to get foreclosed on. It's like, ah, I got to do something else. I'll start up my own company um, and write a book. So I wrote self-published like five books, had some little small businesses going on. Um, the self-published books, they didn't do too, too well. They paid gas and they paid for food and stuff like that. My parents helped out a lot, um, you know, gave me money and stuff. But then it came to the point, I'm a man. Like I came from doing all this stuff to being shut down and relying on my parents for financial support kind of hurt. And even my wife at that time, it was like, you know, she's helping me, you know, fund a, a bad habit, whether it be alcohol or, you know, or whatever yep. is out there. Um, and I felt really bad, man. So I think that was the, 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 the turning point where I got to, you know, I have to do something. And, and I was around Chris Kyle's time. Like I heard Chris Kyle's name when I was in Iraq, uh, devil over Mahdi. And I was like, dude, there's no way this guy's sway laying this many guys uh, uh, turn out to be, he's really sway laying some dudes, you know, no. that's like, I want to catch up to that guy. Um, didn't happen by far did not happen, but you know, I met Chris before he passed and, you know, out here in Texas and, and it was actually a Navy seal man who, um, kind of, who read the book, the self-published one and got me in contact with the uh, St. Martin's press. It, and it's been onward and upward from there, man. Well, that's great to hear, man, because it, you know, there is, it gives a lot of people, especially our brothers that are out there that are struggling, because as you and I and Marcus all know, there's a lot of guys that aren't aren't successful right now that are struggling because they can't shake those demons that translate into bad behavior, right? So yeah, you know, the worst thing we do is when we, we we spend our entire lives becoming together a cohesive unit, irregard- and, and that's just anybody who walks in. I mean, the training right. and, and to stick together, and then immediately when you're out, they separate us. Maybe by design. Who kn- who knows? Yeah. Man, but the beautiful part about social media and everything we're doing now is we're, we're reconnecting. So we're bringing those yep. guys in who who want to get up and keep moving and making it happen because we don't slow down. Well, you no. can't because if you do, if that if you become stagnant, especially us. Then those memories, those that 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 consciousness of what you, you're not involved in anymore, mm-hmm. it comes back with a vengeance. Well, dude. it's hard to it's hard to get around the fact that we you know what you're capable of, and then you get home and you're not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and dude, I mean, uh, since I've been out, I've lost you know twelve plus guys from suicide. You know, and, it, oh. and they just get out, they hit that stagnant point of their life, and they get separated from the brotherhood. Not even the brotherhood; it's just not doing that job. It's a very fast paced job and you just stop, you know, it, it, it's a hard transition. Very, very I, I, I just lost my biggest mentor from the teams just drank himself to death in May. And, you know, this really? was, yeah, this was, a, and it was a battle that, you know, I struggled with him. I, you know, I, I was with him contracting in Afghanistan and in, mm. in, in 2010, when I first saw it, this guy, 27 years in the teams, another six years with the agency and, and I saw it happening, so I start reaching out, and then it got worse and worse, and he got some injuries and worse, and he started losing that warrior. Like, he, yeah. he literally thought he wasn't a warrior, wasn't capable anymore, and this guy used to have a great mind, and just goes, and then two years, it's, you know, two years ago, it started for real, and we just couldn't pull him out. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and it was, what's crazy is, you know, when you do have the love of your brothers, and you're in that space how you can literally shut off the truth that they're feeding you because mm. of your own self 
self-worth issue that you got mm-hmm. going and that's the big challenge i think so it's yeah well, it's, it's gotta be it's tough to be relevant all the way up to the very day and the, mm-hmm. the longer you're in the more relevant you are and, and the responsibilities you have and then you sign that piece of paper and then you're not relevant any i mean well you're not, not to, you're not, not to, relevant, the, to the yeah, team to the team to the team and the team. uh yep. so yeah you got to go out and reapply it and and on your own it used to be like all right if i'm going to a new command i get trained up in this and ready to go man that's all i need <laughs> so so nick yep. let me ask you this uh, you, you know you you you've you certainly have have amassed an incredible amount of knowledge as an operator and a proficient sniper and a ranger. How are you taking, what are the three or four greatest lessons learned that you took from that experience that you're now applying every day in your life? What, what are some of those great things that, that are translatable for the civilians listening to this show? Yeah, I, uh, I would say that never quit attitude, man. Um, uh, just just knowing that I know with SEALs, you guys preach that a lot, that your body can go 10 times further than what, you know, you may tell yourself or, you know, I want to quit and go 10 times further than that. Um, just never quitting it. And there's always light somewhere at some end of some tunnel. You know, there's 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 tunnels that we go under overpasses. You know, that's fast light. Then we have tunnels that are underground for miles and miles and miles. Eventually, you're going to hit that that light at some point in time. There's always light at the end of some tunnel, man. It, it just takes longer for some others to get there. Uh, having That's that cool. mindset. Oh. Uh, living up to what you believe you're worth. If you believe you're worth, you know, whatever, that's what you should be worth. Don't let anybody else tell you you're not. I was told for, you know, from a long time ago in, in school and all the way up to now that you're not going to be able to do this. I graduated with the 1.7 GPA in high school and, you know, I shouldn't be a New York Times bestselling author uh, and author multiple times over, you know, Amen. done that. I, I shouldn't be where I am today. Don't know how, but it is what it is. And, and it's knowing what you're worth. I think that I'm worth whatever. Marcus, you think you're worth, you know, billion times over than what the average person may think of themselves. It's just what your perception is of yourself. If you wake up every morning and you pass by the mirror before you go take a leak in the morning and you look in that mirror and you see something that, you know, should be better or something you're proud of, be that person. Don't be the person that everyone else tells you you are. You know, right. everyone's got an opinion about something. And, and at the end of the day, there's only one person that's going to be in that casket when they close it. It's not going to be that guy who said this or this guy who said that. It's just one of, you know, just you. So live for what you believe you want to do. That, that I, I love that. I, I mean. That's exactly what was. Control your reality. That's, amen. Control your reality. So, Nick, where, where mm-hmm. are you going from here where, what what's next for you? What's on the immediate? You know what's on the 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 hundred yard line, and what's on the thousand yard line right now? Yeah, man. So I uh, just picked up a, a new book deal that's doing like the Tom Clancy's uh, Tom Clancy style of writing and and diving into that because I think that you know we've all wanted to be that superhero, that Superman in the special operations community. And we think of guys like, man, these guys are what the civilians think, you know, we are. When I was growing up, uh, someone told me, I was like, how cool are Navy SEALs? How, how badass are these guys? And I was told that they could be living in your closet or your attic and you would never know about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to, you know, take that and put it just into uh, to, to, to script. Creative. Um, did a few movies, man. Um, just now I did a TV show with John Cena. Um, was and just Rourke, in a, Rourke was in that with you, yeah, wasn't he? Denver, man. Yeah, Diesel. 
did a uh, uh, movie with Aaron Taylor Johnson, the guy who played Quicksilver. And the director was Doug Lyman, who did uh, The Firstborn Identity. Oh. Um, I'll be in that a little bit. Did Transformers. Navy Seals hooked me up with the movie Transformers. Just Were you as a little with Kevin extra. and Andy Kevin and all Kent, those? Yeah. Hi, yeah. Smith, Kevin Kent, yeah. Andy, all those guys. Good mugs, uh, man. Yeah. Awesome oh, mugs. Yeah. All those guys, man. Great guys. Uh, really great guys. Um, did that and and worked on a little movie script that I wrote. And um, not that I want to be a big time Hollywood guy. I just like the way Creative. things work in that realm, like the way production goes from point A to the finished product. I just like that process. It's a process. The way a sniper thinks about how to make a thousand yard shot or how to make a one point one mile shot. Um, like the furthest shot that I ever took was 2022 yards. The math that it took to get to that point was what I was more interested in opposed to squeezing the trigger and watching the bullet fly. All it right. was the getting up to that part is what I liked the most. Cool. The end result's just a, a ting on a piece of steel, but I like the, the gears behind that, the gears behind all that. Well, I, well, that's, I mean, I'm really stoked for you because you found this amazing outlet to, to take your past experience, to do what you love, hang out with the boys, right? I mean, it seems like you're, you're surrounding yourself with a great group of people. And wh Always. where can people follow you? Are you on Instagram and Facebook? I know I follow you on all of them, but just can you tell everybody yeah, yeah. where you're at? Yeah, Instagram, um, official Reaper 33 um, Facebook is just my name, Nicholas Irving. Um, and I believe my Twitter account is uh, Irving underscore Nicholas. Awesome. I'm not Square sure. Yep. Twitter's weird to me, man. Twitter's weird. <laughs> it's a whole different cultural uh, way of, uh, of communicating. But anyways, whatever you choose to do, Nick, I, I know you're going to be successful at it. I'm truly, oh, yeah. I'm true. I, I feel it. blessed for you and your family, your new family. Uh, I also, you know, feel God's going to bless you and continuing to move past all the darkness and, you know, you can't oh, yeah. ever get rid of it, but now you can, it doesn't own you anymore. And, Man, I'll tell you what, yeah, we're rooting for you. We're rooting for you. And, man, I'll tell you what, after you, uh, you know, the next big thing, uh, we'll be fine. We'll get you back Absolutely. on and talk about uh, what that's like. Yeah, too. whatever we can do to help, man. Same to you guys, man. God bless you, man. Awesome. Take care. God bless you, brother. Later. Dude. How do you? I, I don't know. Oh, it's I cool mean, when you, you, when someone you've been it. You've been in. You've been in those environments multiple times, and and you know, I, I had a cool career and all that. But I, I've never been in that where I was pinned down and, and getting late, you know, and all that, and dudes dropping like flies around me. And so when I hear that, man, I, I'm just like, damn, man. But yet he, you know, remember what we were talking about earlier, the perspective of a sniper and whatnot. Yeah. And so and his ability to tell the story. So you can tell he sat back and watched everything. As it was unfolding, and he was while, digesting it, right? Sure. And then, uh, you know, everybody ha has great stories, man. The ability to tell them like that and what he did and pull that in, you could feel it. Oh, you know, 100%. 100%, right? I mean, because, you know, losing that dude who saved his life, I mean, that's got, that was weight. You could hear the weight on him. Sure. But he worked through it. I mean, he, it, in his own unique way. And uh, unlike a lot of guys out there that aren't able to work through it. You know, and, and he did, and he's still working through it, you know, obviously, but man, what a remarkable thing. And, and man, I, I, I just, 
You know, the one that really stuck out to me was that sprint. He said that was the fastest mile I've ever run. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they are. It was reminding me of something we had to do one time. Same, same kind of thing, man. Just, you can do a mile pretty quick when you have to. Oh, uh, you have to, right? I mean, if you don't. uh, Yeah, it popped into my head the whole time he was talking and you, and you kind of mentioned this a minute ago when guys get out, it's the, the, in the military, we're, we're trained for a day-to-day operation, right? Yes. Makes sense when you get out. To I mean, I see how guys get twisted up kind of deal if you don't have a day-to-day operation going on. Well, the regiment, you, right? Yeah, that's well, what I'm talking and, about. And, you, and a you, lot you, of you, it was fed to us. Yeah, that's, it, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. So, And that's what I did a lot of times when I got back out. I went to my regiment. I boiled it all the way down to checking the air pressure in my wife's tires every morning, you know, taking the kids to school, mowing the grass, all, taking out the guards. We were talking about it there. Taking out the, yeah, yeah I mean, everything. the checkoff list right. just just to live a a functional, goal-oriented lifestyle is down to the, the minutiae. It's so high pace, right? It's like, we, what do we say? It's hitting a brick wall at 100 miles an hour when you get out. It really is, man. Everything just kind of, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I need some intensity over here, dude. Yeah, right? And your intensity is, all right, I got to manage my emotions surrounded by people that I feel are 100 times in it more inadequate or deficient than I am. But yet, the society flips it around and says, I'm the dysfunctional one. And, and that's challenging. I mean, I battled with that for years at when I first got out. It's got to be really tough on the guys that get hurt and get out oh. before, before you're mentally ready for it. Oh, bro, that I was mean, me. I see the guys you know, who are retiring. If you're mentally ready to get out, those guys don't have any... Bro, they, you know what I'm talking about? Well, the, the, you got the institutionalization of it then, because then they can't find out, all right, how do they recreate the patterns that you were talking about in a meaningful way? It's on them. No, no, I, yeah, I get that, but I'm talking about the guys who have to get out after you get hurt after that next day. Yes, Man, yeah. Man, that, that, that part yeah, is yeah. just not. <laughs> oh, it, it, I can't imagine. <laughs> you, it was taken away from you. You got like Justin, right? Leg. You know, he had gotten, he achieved his dream, and all you, of a sudden. You want to talk about boiling all down when uh, you set of lungs? Just breathe. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. Uh, well, the feet, man, I guess, man, they just something else. Every I, time, the, and Nick's no no exception, man. He t- took it to a different level. He did, and he continues. So, you know, I, I just, I, I can't wait to watch how he's going to progress and keep doing more and keep teaching and keep oh, doing sure. well. I, I think he, he's just one of those squared away dudes that, you know, is able to tell a story to help people out there be inspired. Sure. To be inspired to, to live that. Imagine if you open up a door for that dude, he'd, he'll hit it full force. I mean, how can he not? I mean, look look at how many times he cheated death and, and has, has now come through and, and realizes the gift and the blessing that God has given him, especially with his new little kid. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, he's reborn, which is awesome. And, and that's what we hope you're hearing right now if you're listening. We hope you hear that you can do it too, that you can overcome those obstacles. You can face your adversity, that you can rise up and, and tap into that fire in your gut that's inside all of us. I mean, that's why we're having Nick Irvin on. That's why Marcus and I are sharing our stories with you because we want you to believe in yourself. We want you to believe that you too possess the never quit attitude, the never quit mindset, the never quit ability to endure the combat of life. So before we finish and wrap it up, Marcus, I got a wizard gave us another amazing write-in that I'm going to read through and, and just sit back and, And listen to the story, if you could, please. Dear David and Marcus, and this is from a guy named Tim Wanacott. Dear David and Marcus, I submit my story with true honor and humility. My story began years ago 
when as a child, I would ride my bicycle to the local firehouse and watch the fire engine roll out with their lights and sirens flashing. I was in awe. This went on for years and it was anchored in my soul that being a firefighter was my calling. I began learning all I could about the selection process for becoming a full-time paid firefighter. My dad told me from the very early age that he had no doubt I could achieve whatever I set my stubborn mind to, but he, under, but he underscored that I could never give up. I began testing with local fire departments and to my discouragement with, was not making the cut with the overall process. I had tested with law enforcement agencies as well. Because of this time, I had a daughter at home, and although not my dream job, I did manage to get on the police department. Over the next nine years, I continued to test with local fire agencies. But after years of serving the community and, and home stress, I began noticing a horrible feeling of chest pains and anxiety. I continued burning the candle at both ends and went through a very painful divorce. In 1999, I completely crashed. I suffered a complete breakdown. I was diagnosed with PTSD from years of calls and death and stress. After owning a home as a young, hardworking man, I lost everything and ended up at my parents' couch. I was in a state of anxiety 20 hours a day, sleeping for a couple hours here and there. I went from a strong 225-pound cop to 160 pounds of depressed mess. After seven months of hell, my dad sobbed and prayed for my healing. He picked me up off the couch and forced me to go to the garage. He looked at me in the eyes. Don't give up, son. Not ever. He had me work with my hands, forced me to start doing push-ups, get medicated, and eat. I slowly crept my way to health each day, a battle. My dad with me each step. In 2002, despite the odds, I tested at the top of the list and was sworn in as a full-time firefighter. Tears ran down my dad's eyes. In 2005, after thriving at the fire department and enjoying my calling, I noticed my dad had become depressed and anxious. This was a result of caring for my mom, who ended up in the ICU. After a recovery, I convinced my dad to come help me on the side job, urban logging and tree work. I, I wanted him to get out and make a few bucks with his hands. I felt it was my turn to minister to him. In April 19, 2005, I went to grab lunch and dad decided to work through. Little did I know that it was the last time I would see him alive. During my lunch break, a piece of equipment malfunctioned and he was killed instantly. I was sickened and screamed to God violently. I lived with such guilt, anxiety, and depression. Despite all this, I heard my dad's voice exclaiming, don't give up. I die to that daily. Fast forward, years of death, trauma, too many calls, countless runs on the fire engine. In August of 2015, I attended the Patriot Tour. I immediately fell in love with the never quit ideal as what I knew growing up. I put the sticker on my truck and shared the concept with my mates at the firehouse, especially my trainees. In September 2015, the bell rang at the firehouse. It was a call made our hearts tear in two. Dispatch, advised, five-year-old boy was stuck under a minivan screaming for his dad. The van had hit the child and rode across his bike as he rode across his bike in an intersection. This occurred in front of his father, who witnessed the accident. The, ch the child was drugged 40 feet and ended up wrapped under the van, being burned by the engine block. His dad and bystanders lifted the van and extricated him. The boy's screams gave way to becoming a trauma code. The boy's dad and police officer began CPR. Hearing the update, I drove the fire engine way beyond SOP. Upon my arrival, myself and my captain grabbed the boy and began CPR, interventions, and worked the trauma code. I was sickened to see the child that was a fellow firefighter. I began to cry as I worked on the little guy. I remember my dad's words. I remember the sticker on my truck. 
and I just kept telling the little fella, do not give up. Don't quit on us. I was praying to God, let him live. Please let that heart beat. After a quick assessment, I was amazed to feel a pulse. All I could do was hand him to our medics who arrived and rushed him to the trauma center. I kept repeating to him, don't quit, don't give up. I spent sleepless nights sick in the visions of the call. My prayer was the most honest, simple, and heartfelt cry. Please let him live. We need hope, God. I remember the sadness and pain of my dad's death. I needed a good outcome. To my amazement, months after the accident, the little guy flew back home to Boise. I was invited to meet him and the family at the airport. I saw my hero walk up in the jetway. This little guy embodies the never quit spirit I am blessed with and to have been a small part of. Please know there are thousands of first responders out there who need podcasts like this. It truly makes a difference. Thank you for allowing me to show, share my story. And that was from Tim Wanacott. Now, brother, I read that story and I know that God exists. I know that God exists to inspire all humanity to never quit, but you just can't give up, right? What's that going to get you? Look how far he's got. I mean, that says a lot about him. The kind of man he is every time he gets hit, keeps getting back up. And what he does for a living, that in itself. I mean, that is the epitome of the never quit mindset. That is living with the never quit attitude. Now, I hope as a listener, you got my inspiration for the week right there, man, that guy right there, (laughs) much less Nick Irving, much less you, much less me. How about his story right there? And I'll tell you what, you have that story inside you, you listening right now. It's deep. It's down. You feel like you're in the bottom of the endless abyss and lack of hope, but it's there. Just summon it, light that fire in your gut through these stories, through this podcast and climb out and live with true purpose. And I promise you, Marcus and I believe in you. And we know that if you do it, you too will have the never quit mindset. Yep. I want to thank God for the inspiration and Christ in my heart. I want to thank my beautiful children and my family. I want to thank Marcus and I want to thank the wizard. I want to thank all of you listeners who are making us one of the top podcasts out there. I want to thank our guest, Nick Irving, and all the other guests. I want to thank Tom and telling his story. I just want to thank everything and everybody that has gotten me to this place because it has taught me the never quit mindset. Marcus? Great show. Wow. Yep, all the way top to bottom. So thanks to everybody for bringing us back on and, and uh, keeping us around. That really means a lot. I, I swear to God, man, <laughs> that's really cool of them to do that. And um, Nick, you're the man, brother. That was that was that was fun. Always get those army guys on there and and uh, bring a little levity to this room. So thanks for doing that. Thanks to the wife for, uh, for letting Brett come over all the time. <laughs> and uh, thanks to the good Lord above for giving me all my talents and for my friends for helping me find them. And um, I'm out. I'm out. Never quit. Mm-hmm.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. $15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.